Hello, and welcome to the Evoke Greatness podcast. My name is Sunny, and I have an insatiable hunger for growth and knowledge. I am a huge book nerd and a wee bit of a control enthusiast with an obsession for motivational coffee cups. I have traveled what feels like a thousand journeys from the start of my career as a CNA, slowly making my way through nursing school, to presently being the COO of a national hospice company. I have learned valuable lessons along the way that have forged me into the woman and leader that I am today. And I'm hopeful that others can utilize my lessons and the lessons of my guests to help pave their own way. I am calling my crazy big shot as I build this podcast and a lifestyle brand that will be in service of others. I believe that a rising tide raises all ships, and I invite you along in this journey to evoke greatness. Welcome back to another episode of Evoke Greatness. My guest today is Deanne Turner, 33-year veteran at Chick-fil-A, serving as the company's first female executive. As the vice president of talent, she was responsible for selecting thousands of franchisees and corporate staff members. Today, she continues her servant leadership and the sharing of her gifts with others through her books and keynotes. Deanne, welcome. I am so excited to have the blessing of being able to spend some time with you this morning. Oh, it's completely my pleasure. It's great to be with you this morning, Sonny. Well, let's take it back a minute. For those who may not know your story, can you share with us, how did you even come to find your way into a Chick-fil-A? <laughs> well, it is, it is quite a story of the background of how I uh, ended up at Chick-fil-A. Coming out of college, I was a journalism major. I'd always wanted to be a writer, and I ended up in the advertising business because that was where a lot of journalism majors went at that time to actually make a living. So I was working for a small firm, and I wanted to get closer to where my husband was working. We wanted to move. One of the companies that was close by was Chick-fil-A. And so my husband had actually gone to lunch there and experienced He said, I think you should apply. And I knew about Chick-fil-A all my life because I grew up in Atlanta, but I didn't know about the culture of the company or that the headquarters was in Atlanta. I hadn't really thought about it. And so I started applying and they immediately turned me down for a position in advertising. And I told my husband, I said, well, that's that. I gave it a try and it didn't work. So I'll just give up on that idea. And he said, not so fast, apply again. So I did. And I got another turn down the same type of letter that said, thanks, but no, thanks. We don't have anything that meets your experience and background. Well, then I was really curious. It's like, okay, wait a minute. You know, in all of my 21 year old wisdom, they're, they're turning me down again. So I really started pursuing Chick-fil-A. Well, some months went by as I continued to pester them for an interview. As it turned out, a woman came in my husband's office one day and she'd had a flat tire and she asked to use the phone to call her husband. And he said, you don't need to do that. I'll change the tire for you. So he changed the tire. When he was done, she gave him a coupon for a free Chick-fil-A sandwich. He said, oh, do you work at Chick-fil-A? And she said, well, I did, but I've resigned because my husband's being relocated. He said, what department do you work in? She said, advertising. And so he ushered her out of his office. He called me and he said, they have a position in advertising. And so I called them. I said, I understand you have a position in advertising. I'd like to apply. And then I went through a months long process, uh, several months into all of that. They finally, I got to the last interview and the vice president of human resources says, well, we're going to offer you this job in advertising, but I also have a job in HR that I think you might be interested in. Why don't you think about it and decide which way you want to go? 
And so at the time I thought, well, I love change and variety. So I'll take the position in HR. And in a couple of years, I'll know where all the jobs are in marketing and advertising and I'll move back over there. And the rest of that story is it never happened. (laughs) I stayed in HR. What a story, though. You know, talk about those circumstances that are meant to be, that are put in our way for for a reason, and they fall into the the right place at the right time. That sometimes is a little different than our own timing or what we what, what our plans are. Exactly. You know, and and I tell people that all the time. You know, when you're disappointed about something, realize that either something better is being provided for you, or you're being protected from something that will harm you that there's this greater plan that you fit into. I, you know, I believe in that. And I think that that was exactly what happened to me. And I don't know if it was being provided something better. I believe that. Or if I was protected from something I don't know about. But either way, it worked out and it was a much better plan for me. Absolutely. I'm curious, what kept you there for so long, really committed and engaged? I think at the top of the list would have to be that it's a real culture of care. And this is almost an intangible. You almost can't put words to what it looks like. And Chick-fil-A has a strong, remarkable culture that's well-defined. You know, it has a meaningful purpose. and They're always pursuing a challenging mission. And they have a strong set of demonstrated core values, which is how I, de- I define culture. But there's this other intangible, and it's about the people you get to work with. And so over those 33 years, what was amazing was how much I felt cared about mm-hmm. by my coworkers. And at times... You know, in some of the deepest and most difficult times of my life, like when I lost my dad, I tell the story. It was my Chick-fil-A friends who showed up at the funeral home and were making sure I got something to eat and were just really focused um, on my needs. And that's hard to put into words over time, but I just constantly felt cared for. And it, you know, even though I had a couple of opportunities and actually considered leaving at times, it was really the people. It's like I, I really enjoyed this environment. Was there ever a light bulb moment along the way that you had where you recognized, and you spoke a little bit to this, where the culture or the people that you're surrounded by, that it matters from a retention perspective and it matters to people and their desire for growth? Yeah, I I think that the way we described it at Chick-fil-A was we lived life together. And so we celebrated each other's joys, you know wedding showers and baby showers. And we, like I gave the story before, we experienced each other's griefs and we celebrated when we grew together and we accomplished goals together. And so it was very much this spirit of living life together, which I think is actually very rare, especially today. I think most people see their job as, you know, one compartment of their life. And the culture we had there was that, you know, it overlapped into lots of compartments. You know, I took my children to the office. They were welcome there. Uh, in fact, we had, and they still do have one of the largest on-site childcare centers, I think, especially per employee of anywhere in the country. And But I took my children to work. They were always welcome there. The people I worked with were some of their greatest role models of leadership. And I think that that living life together kind of sums up what was so special about that versus it was just a place you went from nine to five every day. Right. Yeah. If we spend so much time, which we do, we spend so much of our time, whether it be in an office, wherever your work is, we spend so much time there. And if we're going to will, if we're going to be willing to sacrifice that time away from our family, 
it's got to be meaningful. It has to have a purpose. And so I love that she said, you described that beautifully. I think COVID has really changed the way that many of us look at our jobs and our roles. And I'm not sure we've ever been in such a time where, at least in my career, where there's been such an impact of staffing shortages and people leaving the workforce. And some of that due to that lack of fulfillment, that lack of purpose or sense of belonging. What advice would you give to a leader as to what their role is in combating people walking away from their jobs today? Sure. Well, it's, it's attaining talent and keeping talent is, the, to me, the most important job of a leader. And so how do you do that? I, I encourage leaders today to think about three things. So most of their employees are millennials or Gen Zers. Um, they're just entering the workforce. And there are three things primarily that this audience wants. Number one, they want a remarkable culture. And I defined that a moment ago. Even in days where you're remote, you can have a remarkable culture because it's not based on necessarily the parties that you have or the, the interactions you have every day, although that enhances a culture. The foundation of culture is really the core of who you are. I call the culture the soul of the organization. And so what's in that soul? Number one, it's the purpose, a meaningful purpose, something that doesn't ever change. It's your why for being. Secondly, it's a challenging mission to pursue. You know, what are we going after? What's that big goal we're going to achieve together? And lastly, it's demonstrated core values. What are the beliefs we hold most dear that we're going to demonstrate with the people we work with? That supersedes being remote or away from each other. Those are principles that go much deeper than that. So one, they want a remarkable culture. Secondly, they want to be about something bigger than themselves. They're not interested in making money for themselves just for the sake of making money. And they're not interested in helping you make money just for the sake of making money. They want it to have some kind of meaningful impact. And so they want to pursue that thing. They want to be a part of something where people are pursuing something bigger than themselves. At Chick-fil-A, for me, you asked me why I stayed and I didn't talk about this, but that was a big part of it. Um, even though I'm not a millennial or a Gen Z, or that was a big part for me. I mean, it's great chicken, but it doesn't keep you there for <laughs> three years. You know, what kept me there was exactly what I'm talking about, being part of something, knowing that, you know, that my hard work contributed to millions and millions and millions of dollars of college scholarships for young people, or that they supported foster care homes for um, young people that needed a home. I could go on and on and on of the things that, that were done by that organization and, and continue to be done today. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is that they want opportunities to learn and grow. And so you constantly have to have a learning environment where they're learning new skills and they're getting the opportunity to apply those skills, by the way. You know, if you teach them or you send them off to all these courses or, or however you help them grow their skill base, but you don't give them an opportunity to put it in action, that won't mean very much. And then that, yes, they want to grow in their career. And that doesn't necessarily, although they, they certainly want the titles and all that, that's not necessarily what they're talking about. They want res real responsibility and accountability and they want to do meaningful work. And so all of that is about growth in opportunity. And when so those three things together is if, if a leader and those are big chunks of things to focus right. on, you know, if you need to narrow down, it's like, what do I do about finding and keeping great talent in these generations? These are the three things to work on. And if you work on those three things, I guarantee you it's about 70, 80 percent of the work is done in that in that arena. Yeah, I, I completely agree that it's that sense of belonging to something that's bigger than yourself 
that I think so many of us go back to. That's such a that's such an uh, innate desire that people have, and when they can join a company or an organization that supports that and offers that development and that opportunity for growth, you can keep people for far longer than the traditional tenure, you know, that we see yeah. in in the world today. Even in days like this where they might not be working at their workplace, right. they might be working remotely or they are in the workplace. You think about hourly employees and and some of the people that have had the toughest time in the last couple of years, restaurant workers, grocery store workers, well, they want to, again, being part of something bigger than themselves, knowing that their organization is solving big world problems or community problems, that's meaningful. In your career, I doubt it was always easy working with a variety of people and personalities. How did you deal with those who maybe didn't meet the expectations of their roles where you had to have some really difficult conversations on their role or what the future looked like for them? So honestly, I really had to grow in this area. I started my career, and I think it goes back to how we're raised, but I had really high expectations of myself. And if you meet somebody who has, I mean, there's nothing wrong with high expectations, but maybe even to a point of being unhealthy. I mean, I would say I expected perfectionism of myself, Mm. and none of us are perfect. And so if you have those kind of expectations of yourself, you communicate that either intentionally or unintentionally to the people who work for you. And I think very unintentionally, those high standards, those high expectations just kind of bled out on the people that work for me. And I think it was very hard for them. With people who couldn't meet those expectations, which they were so high. So you can imagine this is a conversation often, but I I lacked some patience. I just thought everybody should be able to get something as quickly as I did, or, or even read my mind or understand, you know, understand so much more. It was so unfair. And I'm being honest, because these are the things you learn when you look back right. on your career and you go, I didn't, I missed that. One of the things that changed me was becoming a parent. And once I had my first child, it really changed my perspective on this whole perfectionism thing, <laughs> because you quickly learn that you're not perfect and neither <laughs> are the people around you. And it also made me think about the way I treated the people who worked with me. Every one of them was somebody's son or daughter, somebody's mom or dad, brother or sister, husband or wife. They were some, they were important to somebody else. And I wanted to be sure that I treated those people the way I wanted the special people in my life to be treated. So it really changed me. And it didn't change one thing because I always tried to tell the truth and be straightforward with people. It's kindness to refuse immediately what you eventually intend to deny. Mm. And so if I knew somebody wasn't going to get the promotion that they were expecting, then I told them so. I didn't dangle a carrot and say, well, maybe in six months when I knew all along that wasn't going to be an opportunity for them. And if they couldn't do something, I wanted to understand why. If it was a willingness issue, I couldn't help them a whole lot with that. That was probably a time when we needed to look for another role inside or outside the organization. But if it was a capability problem, if it was a new skill they needed or more time or coaching or mentorship or a course, whatever it was that they needed, then I did everything I could to help them um, find what it was that they needed to enhance their performance. So for leaders who struggle with this, let me encapsulate a little bit of what I just said. Number one, you have to decide, do they want to? If they don't want to, you can't help so much with that. So that's a different, that's a different trajectory. That's a different path for them. But if they want to and they can't, people are not indispensable as we know. You know, it's hard to get talent. 
And investing in the talent you have to strengthen their capability is a much better investment than starting all over again. It's much less expensive, even though it can be expensive to retool an employee, it's much more expensive to let them go, find somebody else and train them. So I really emphasize the importance of if somebody is willing and they're just not capable, do everything you can to help them be capable before you or they give up on it. I love that. Being a woman in a male-dominated industry, what were some of the challenges you came up against that you feel like really helped forge you into the woman and the leader that you are today? I think it was definitely some of the things that didn't go my way. Some of my greatest challenges really changed my outlook and changed my leadership so much more so than any success that I had. I already told you about becoming a parent changed me a lot. And having to take a stand on something I really, truly believed in. And by the way, it didn't, just because I took the stand didn't mean it worked out for me. Um, Sometimes it worked out later. Mm. And after I was gone from the role or the situation, I had had one situation in particular. And I I had a leader in the company that was very opposed to a a structural design I had for talent, uh, the way I wanted to serve the organization and that I felt like was not just I wanted to, but seemed to be best for the organization. And so I put this structure in place and I was constantly getting the pushback, Um, so much so that really interfered with our effectiveness. So I was having a conversation with this leader and, um, you know, he basically told me, you need to make a change or this isn't going to work out very well for you. And, uh, I thought about it and I I was like, it's the right thing to do. And I stood behind it. I moved on to another role. um, And so I didn't get to experience the success of making the right decision, but it turned out that structure was exactly what the organization needed. And after I left, it grew and grew and grew to be a very effective part of the organization today. So sometimes our job is just to plant the seeds and to have the courage to stand up to things. And again, when we're in the midst of it, we don't know how it's going to work out. And that's why I tell the story is sometimes you move on and then you look back and you go, hey, it worked out just like I thought it should. So I think I learned a a lot from those type of situations and being able to look back and go, just, you know, do what you think is best. And sometimes you're not right. And if you're not right, then own it Mm -hmm. and say I was wrong and say, let's try again. Let's try this solution. Um, but if you believe in something, you know, it's important that you stand your ground. And sometimes as a woman, that's harder to do, just quite honestly. I don't say that very often because I really encourage women to try to not get too hung up on it's all because I'm a woman type of thing. But sometimes it is harder. And there are basic differences between men and women. And I encourage women, for instance, to just some little behavioral things that you can do differently to make sure you're heard. Give me an example. Women stop talking when other people start talking. So if you're in a meeting, and I and this happened to me a lot, I was the only woman in the room. Right. And if I was talking and somebody start, started talking, I stopped because it's just what we do as women. And I had to learn, don't stop talking. You were already talking. You had the floor. Don't let somebody interrupt you. And those are just, you know, basic some of those basic things we learn in order to increase our leadership influence in those environments. And I guess, Sonny, I've kind of rambled all over the place to answer your question, but I I think that um, those are some of the lessons that I learned along the way that made it easier for me to navigate the path. 
Well, and I think it's the sharing of those lessons and the sharing of those relevant examples. Like you talked about women typically stop talking when others, we were, we were taught to not interrupt. We were taught to, you know, when someone else is speaking, you give them the space. And that's something that I struggled with for a number of years was probably that more the fear around, do I even have the, not necessarily authority, but am I willing to own the space that it's going to take to continue talking or to own my voice or to own my opinion or to own my stance. And I think it's so important, especially women like you who have held such an incredible career and done the amazing things that you've done to share those experiences that you have had that really helped you continue to navigate and continue to break down the the doors and, and ceilings for others, you know, who come behind you. So I appreciate those, those lessons that you share. Looking back, uh, you talk a lot about when you had a family and you were you were working and really probably trying to figure all of that out. Looking back, how did you keep a balance with a young family and a growing career? And I say that with, I know that you have been really authentic in sharing the interviews that you've had with franchisees and their spouses and really wanting to share with them this is going to be a big commitment. This is going to be a lot of your time. And I want to make sure that this is something that you're willing to step into. And so how did you handle, how did you juggle that? I um, I probably had more learning about that. This is another thing looking back than while I was in the midst of it. Because when you're in the midst of all that, you're really just trying to survive. I was interviewing Dana Spinoa, the founder and CEO of Fabric, um, on my Crush Your Career podcast not long ago. And she said something that has really stuck with me and I've tried to share with people as often as I can. She said, balance is a myth. I'm never going to achieve that. What I work for is presence. And I thought, oh, that's brilliant. She said, so when I'm with my family, I'm with my family. Mm. When I'm at work, I'm at work. And I try not to let one overlap the other. For me, I used to say that there were times that Chick-fil-A came first and there were times that my family came first and I had to have the wisdom to know the difference. But I actually like Dana's goal of presence better. When you're a leader, when you have the kinds of responsibilities I had and others have in, in organizations like that, sometimes you're doing things at some really odd hours. They're weekends and on vacation and in the evenings. And what I tried to do was counter that sometimes to be at some really important things that normally I wouldn't be able to do. So I remember when the boys were little, they had this, <laughs> they had this, uh, it was their fall carnival, but it was called Super Goober Day. And there's a whole story behind Super Goober Day, but it was an important event in their young lives up until the sixth grade. And I really didn't like the event, to be honest <laughs> with you. It was just a little crazy and chaotic, but it was important to them. And so, you know, I might've been traveling all week or I might've had to do something the previous weekend. But those were the things that if it was important to them, I tried to put it aside. I tried to make sure I was there and present for those really important things. All of my boys were athletes and they loved for me to be there. As far as I know, they loved for me to be there. They, they played three sports from the time they were four years old. And I, you know, among three boys playing that many sports, I think I missed less than what you can count on two hands mm. over all those years. Wow. Um, because it was important to them. And so I worked to really try to be there for that. Some other things I couldn't do. And, you know, I tell people, and especially young mothers, your kids don't care who do does the laundry. 
They don't care who does the grocery shopping. I'm not even sure they care except you make your favorites every once in a while. I'm not sure they care who cooks. What they care about is that you tuck them in at night and that you read the bedtime stories and that you build the Legos with them and that you have the tea party and that you spend time in the swimming pool with them and that you take a walk and look at the pretty leaves and that you're at the ball games and the dance recitals and the piano concerts, all of those things. That's what they care about. And so to the extent that I was able, and everybody has different capability in this area, I outsourced a lot of things that didn't matter to my kids. If I could get somebody else to do it and I could afford it, I did it. And I don't regret any of that, you know, and I may have had the opportunity to not be able to do some other things, but to me, it was well worth it to spend that time with my kids. So really, and I was one of those moms, to be honest with you, I I limited my board participation. I limited my volunteer activities. I limited my own hobbies to some extent, and we can get to that in a moment, but I, I, I went to work. And I spent time with my kids because in a blink, they were gone. And uh, now I have lots of times for volunteerism and boards and hobbies. I'm doing all of those things on my own. But really, my kids were and, and my husband was where I put my emphasis during those years. How were you able to, in doing all of that and giving yourself permission, because I think that's a big piece of it, giving yourself permission to say, this is not a portion of my time that I'm willing to give away. And this is a portion of time that I need to commit to my family. How did you find time or did you find time to do self-care? Yeah, I did find time for that. I, I do have to back up and say one thing. I worked for a marvelous organization and I have the most incredible husband. And without those two things, I couldn't have done everything I just told you about before. Um, so I do need to acknowledge that because my husband is truly a helpmate to me and a partner to me, and I could not have accomplished what I've accomplished without him. He helped in so many ways, you know, both support-wise, but then physically doing so many things to make all this possible. So, and then I worked for an organization that's very supportive of families. That didn't mean that sometimes it didn't interfere. And I had, I mean, there were times I went to Harvard Business School for 10 weeks away from my kids when they were relatively small. So, I mean, I had to make some choices Career-wise, they were pretty supportive of making sure you were there for the important things. Um, Now, to your question, how did I make time for self-care? Well, I learned into my career that that was really, really important. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't showing up as a good leader because of it. I got some feedback about it, and I changed. And what I did is I got up an hour earlier than anyone in my family every single morning. And when my kids were little, that was really early in the morning. It might have been 4.30 in the morning to be able to do that. But I got up, I had prayer time, I read, and I exercised. And I did those things, but um, that's how I started my day. It transformed me as a leader and as a mom and as a wife and a person having that time. I still do it today, even though I really manage my own schedule. In fact, you were wanting to reschedule our interview earlier this week, and you'd asked for an earlier time, and we actually changed it to another day because as much as possible, I just don't interfere with that time because I know how important it is for me to be effective. And so it's the one life hack, if you will. And lots of people talk about this. Lots of people do this. I'm not unique in any way. But if there's one thing I encourage every young leader to incorporate into their life. It's that time and it changes your day and all of your effectiveness. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It changed mine when I, you don't get more hours in the day, right? And and especially in the evening, there's, there's not extra hours or you end up going to bed really late. And then that 
eats away at your next day. And so I started doing the same thing. And, and then that was not taking any time away from my family. It meant that That's I right. had to make sure that I got in bed at a reasonable time so that I could get up earlier than everybody else when the rest of the house and, and probably the rest of the world was still sleeping. But you're yeah. right, it changes your ability to be productive, to be present, and to show up. You have to be able to show up for yourself in order to show up well for others. The really neat thing about this is over time, my kids really noticed this and they still know it. They know about mom's time. And, you know, one of them says mom's having her coffee in Jesus time. And (laughs) another of my kids, um, it meant so much to me. His first year in college, I got this box of breakfast goodies, but the note inside said, mom, I know how important your early mornings are. And I hope this makes them much sweeter. And uh, that just, it meant so much to me. It's like they notice Mm -hmm. and hopefully they'll incorporate those kinds of habits in their life as they start their careers. And, uh, uh, but that was really meaningful to me. How has your faith been an instrument for you and all that you do? It's the foundation. You know, I don't, I really don't know how people get through a lot of things in life without it. And, you know, I was really blessed. I grew up in a home and, and primarily my mother was a huge influence on my faith. And, you know, she's the one who really taught me God always has a plan, even when you can't see it. He always has a plan. And so my faith really comes in so many different ways. One was when I was making selection decisions. Now, I tell people selection is an art, not a science. People want to make it a science. They want to have all these formulas. If you score this on this test and you get this and do this, that's the right person for the job. I don't think so. I think every one of those decisions is individual to the role and to the candidates. And so I always sought a lot of wisdom to make the right decision. And it wasn't just for our organization to make the right decision, but to make the right decision for that person. Because actually, it was far more important to them. It's one of the most important decisions they were making for their life, especially if they're going to be a franchisee or a lot of people who come to work for Chick-fil-A stay for a long, long time. So it's a huge decision for them. So I, and, and I didn't, you know, I wanted to make sure I selected the right talent. I didn't select the wrong talent and I didn't. Uh, make a decision that was going to adversely impact somebody's life. So that really came into play. And then then there were those times, you know, that you just have to have faith. It's like, I don't know how this is going to work out. This is a tough situation as a leader for me to be in, but God knows and he's going to walk me through it. And it was so natural in the workplace because it's really foundational to my life. And that's really how I approach things. I mean, even in the last two years, it's kind of like, you know, this is crazy. And in all my years in life, and I tell my kids, it's like, I've never seen anything like this. I don't know what advice to give you, but I do believe that God's in control. And there are a lot of things out of my control. And I'm not going to spend time on things that are out of my control. I'm going to work on what I can control. And one of those things is strengthening my faith to get through tough times. Couldn't agree more. What are a couple of action items that you would give someone today who's wanting to take a big step in their career or in their growth and development? One of the first things is that, you know, I think who you put in your network is so important. Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, taught me this lesson. He said, you'll be the same person five years from now, except for the books that you read and the people that you meet. I've adjusted that so you'll be the same person five years from now, except for the books that you read, the podcasts you listen to, and the books that you write, um, and the people that you meet. But I think that the people you meet are really, really important. And don't, you know, every person you meet, learning to engage, learning to be curious, asking good questions, establishing relationships, 
Now, one of the things I've learned at this season, when I left Chick-fil-A, I left a huge network of people. And I've been shocked at who's still in my network outside of that. You know, the people that I met years and years ago while I was working there and, you know, that are in other businesses. And all of a sudden, they've become some of my best colleagues now 30 years later. Never know how that's going to turn out. So I think really understanding how to nurture and cultivate relationships and keep them over time is really, really important. There's some specific relationships that I really encourage you to do. One is I talk about the idea in my new book, Crush Your Career. I talk about the fact that when the most important decisions are made about your career, you won't be in the room. You won't be in the room when your boss decides to select you or how much to pay you or when to promote you or if you've reached your peak, you won't be in the room for any of those decisions. So if you're not in the room, the implication's clear. You need somebody who is in the room. You need an advocate. So developing advocacy is really important to grow in your career. And you have to spend time on this. You know, and it's like, how do you do all this? How do you complete the projects? How do you complete, if you're a mid-level leader, you have responsibility for all those performance reviews for the people who work for you. And then you're saying, Deanne, you want me to, on top of all those tasks, I've got to cultivate relationships too? Absolutely. You need to carve out that time every single month on your calendar to decide who you're going to have coffee with, who you're going to have lunch with. Be sure that as you do that, it's not all about you, but it's how you can add value to them. And always be asking that question. How can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I add value to you? But those relationships, I think, are the most important part of growing your career. And when we're young in our career or we're new leaders and we have so much responsibility and so many, quote unquote, tasks to complete, we often forget that importance. But over the course of your career, it's extremely important. Yeah. Talk about pearls of wisdom. Rewind about a minute and a half and re-listen to that all over again, because that's, that's gold. It really is. You have written two phenomenal books. I have them both here. Bet on talent. I will say there are probably more sentences in this book underlined than not, because I have read this multiple times. And after I read that, I went ahead and purchased it for all of our senior leadership, all of our executive leadership throughout the hospice company that I oversee. And anyone new to our company, as they come into corporate onboarding, gets a copy of that. And not because it's that good, because it is, but because it's that important. It really is that important. You are reaching so many by way of your words and coaching. And, and I'm curious what your perspective is. What, is. what does greatness look like to you? Oh, wow. Greatness to me is fulfilling God's plan for our life. And to do that, we have to be humble. We're not seeking greatness. We're seeking His best for us. And when we can look back and go, okay, I took those steps in obedience that He asked me to take so that I could fulfill His plan for my life so that I could be an instrument in a bigger plan that He has for all of us together. That to me is greatness. It's powerful. It really is. Uh, obedience, I think, is something that that maybe we always battle. It's something that I certainly talk to my kids about regularly around obedience and, and disobedience as you're trying to disciple and discipline them as you're raising them. Um, but obedience to what we're called to do and called to be and and the decisions that we make each and every day and whether or not we're, is that because it's what we want to do or is that because it's His will for us? Very powerful. It's kind of interesting, Sonny. We wouldn't be talking today if I hadn't had figured some of this out and been obedient a few years ago. When I had the opportunity to retire from Chick-fil-A, 
I was 54 years old and no one was expecting me to do that, including myself. But there was an opportunity uh, for a number of long-term Chick-fil-A employees to take a voluntary early retirement option. And I had always wanted to be a writer. I had written my first book, It's My Pleasure, in 2015. I had already been speaking about 50 times a year. And you remember right at the beginning of this interview, I said I always wanted to be a writer from the time I was eight years old. Well, I had a contract for two more books with with Baker Books sitting on my desk when this opportunity came along. And I never imagined myself leaving Chick-fil-A before I was, you know, somewhere around 65 years old. I just didn't imagine doing that. I thought I would be there right up until retirement and have spent my whole career at that one company. Basically, I had one other short-term job before then. But this opportunity came along and I just prayed and I prayed and I sought wisdom from others. And it was the one of the, actually it was, I tell people it took me longer to decide to retire from Chick-fil-A than it did to marry my husband. Um, (laughs) It was just that hard of a decision to make, but I felt God's urging that he had created a path for me and that this was an opportunity to do the things that I had always wanted to do and to, you know, enjoy my family at a different season of life and just, and, and he's just really fulfilled all the desires of my heart during the season. I was so close to not being obedient to that, even though I felt I knew he had made this way for me. I knew the book contracts were, you know, I couldn't have done that and continued in my leadership position at Chick-fil-A. And I knew they were all of him, but I still was resistant because I was so comfortable where I was in an environment that I love with people that I loved. But I chose to be obedient. And it's really been immeasurably more than I could have ever imagined since then. You talked a little bit about this when you talked about Truett's philosophy on the people you surround yourself with and the books and the content that you consume. But how do you stay inspired and continue to grow in your career today? And how does mentorship play into that? You know, this has been much harder since leaving Chick-fil-A because I was surrounded with tons of opportunities. Chick-fil-A is a lifelong learning company. They're committed to that. Um, they provide more opportunities than you can imagine in so many different ways. I mean, I, I mentioned the 10 weeks I spent at Harvard Business School, for example. Um, so that's been really hard for me because I don't normally have those opportunities. And then, of course, if I'm going to have something really big, I'm paying for it myself <laughs> these days. So I listen to a lot of podcasts. I reference um, some of these resources at the back of Crush Your Career. Um, I have a list of you know, like the books I think everybody should read and the podcast to listen to. And I think that I do some of those things. I have an opportunity to, I've done a lot of the last couple of years, uh, conferences online. I have a masterclass subscription. And one of the reasons why is because I wanted to learn other things outside the business world. Now there's some great, there's one by Malcolm Gladwell about how to write in there. That's really good, but there's also cooking. And uh, I mean, I could, you know, how to play the guitar and just all these things in the masterclass series that just, I think that helps keep your mind sharp to do other things. And then of course, my biggest thing is the influence of the people I spend time with. I I had an executive coach at Chick-fil-A that I still have a relationship with that really, she's about uh, 15 years older and speaks into me and encourages me. And that's a big part of it. I serve on six different corporate boards. And one of the reasons I do that is it keeps me very engaged with the same group of people, because as a consultant, I'm constantly with different people. Um, but, but those boards keep me engaged with the same business um, to stretch my mind to think about. 
things. And then some of the colleagues that I've mentioned that I've just had these long-term relationships with, and we'll get together for coffee and we'll compare notes and we'll figure out how we can add value to each other's business and uh, collaborate together. And that's really helpful. Well, as we wrap up, I'd love for you to share where listeners can find you, your books, your podcast, your content. I, you know, you're all over, but what would be the best avenue for them to find you and reach out? Well, dnturner.com. So that's D-E-E-A-N-N, turner.com is a great place to find me. And actually, you can find everything there. Um, you can find Bet on Talent and Crush Your Career. You can order both of those books off that site. as other places too, but you can get it there. My podcast, the Crush Your Career podcast, you can listen to there. You can even download my top 25 behavioral interview questions for selecting extraordinary talent. Um, also, please follow me on my Facebook author page. That's Deanne Turner author. And then on Instagram at Deanne Turner, LinkedIn, please connect with me there. And then I occasionally show up on Twitter at Deanne Turner as well. So I would love to have connection with all of your guests. Fantastic. Well, Deanne, I want to acknowledge you for just the amazing work that you continue to do and put out in the world. I think there are, there are people and organizations that are changed as a result of the work that you're doing. And, and I think that's a gift that keeps on giving. So thank you for your commitment. This is something that I hope that you will do and continue to do for many years. And I just really appreciate and value all you do. Thank you so much, Sonny. That's very kind of you. And I really appreciate the encouragement. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope that you'll stick around. If you liked the podcast, please hit the subscribe button, share the episode, or even leave a review. And in the sage words of Olympic champion Wilma Rudolph, never underestimate the power of dreams and the influence of the human spirit. We are all the same in this notion. The potential for greatness lives within each of us.